Podcast. The Gospel According to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Alrighty, are you... Ready to go back to Matthew chapter 6, pick up where we left off in the awesome sermon on the mount. We're going to be challenged by Jesus uh, in some very um, useful ways. We're going to gain some great insights as we go to his word and go to him for prayer. God, uh, with this subject of managing our money and making sure that you are our dominant passion, that we have treasure in heaven and not get duped into doing what the world does and go after worldly treasures that just cannot satisfy. They can't give us the security. God, just help our hearts. Lord, we're prone to wander, but we want to be washed by your word and set our hearts on the right course, the straight and narrow road that leads to life and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Growing up, we all read stories, didn't we? Adventurous tales, maybe of pirates and buried treasure. Every kid's dream, of course, was to find that map with the encoded directions. You follow some jungle path that led to a place that was marked with a gigantic X, right? And you just start digging a little bit and come upon a wooden chest filled with gold coins. You strike it rich there, and off we go to a life of fame and fortune. Now, the desire to seek and store up treasures for ourselves starts early, And it continues all through this life, doesn't it? It's nourished, uh, sadly, by a self-serving nature that we all have as sinners and encouraged by a covetous world that's always pushing us for more, more, more. And it's fostered by this mistaken notion, isn't it, that Money and material possessions is the secret to a happy life and the answer to all of our problems when in fact the Bible says the love of money, the love of stuff really is the beginning of all of our woesome problems. And so while it's true, we all need a steady flow of this money, of income, of savings, of investing and material possessions so that we can enjoy this life that God gave us because he really does want us to enjoy our lives. Uh, but Jesus said there's something even more important that we must First, seek his kingdom and make 
God our treasure, and then all the other stuff will take care of itself. And so when we come to Christ, we're born into a family. We're born again. And the spirit that God puts in us calls God our Abba Father, our Papa God, right? And so God is quick to say, now that you're my children, now that you have a father, provision is my department. That's what dads do. We, we take care of our kids. And so from now on, yes, of course you have to do your part. I'll bless that. But my job is to take the pressure off of you uh, and provide what you need, all your material daily necessities. That's my job. Now you're free to seek my kingdom and do your father's business to be about that. And that's the stuff of life. And I love uh, the uh, scripture that says in John 10 and verse 10, it's the New Living Translation. It says that my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And so that is what Jesus came to do. And we only have one life to live. So Jesus said, make sure that you're not investing and that your dominating passion isn't for the wrong things because you'll wind up getting to heaven and looking back with regret and saying, I was living for all the wrong reasons. And so to avoid that, we listen to Jesus' warnings and teaching that we'll have here before us today. He's going to say, your master passion has to go from seeking and serving self-interest and money to seeking and serving God and his interest. And he says, when you do that, you'll be rewarded and blessed in this life and in the life to come. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Here's our text for consideration, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if, if then the light within you is actually darkness... Oh, how terrible, how dangerous, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters either. He will wind up hating the one and loving the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, it is a spiritual impossibility to serve both God and money. So we'll leave that up there. We'll get situated here with some context. And that is the text for our consideration this morning. And so, yes, regarding money, we can earn it, we can have it, we can spend it, we can save it, right, and we can use it. It just can't use us. And so the fine line there, Jesus is asking his disciples, where is your true treasure? Where's your passion? What's motivating you? What's your master passion all about? What gets you out of bed? What keeps you going? What are the kinds of things that you would sacrifice for? Is it me or is it the stuff in this 
world. And the context is so, so much sense here, because as you recall, last week we were talking about how to pray. And he said, this is how you should pray. And he gave us the sample prayer, a, a prayer of a kind of a pattern to follow in the Lord's prayer. And so he's saying now, prayer is so much more than getting and gaining to come to God. Here are my requests, and these are the things I need, I need, I need. Now he's saying, hey, let's, now that you're a new creation, there's a new course. There's a new aim. Right, So now instead of running after the things pagans do, don't have a father to provide for them, uh, you are to relax, not to worry, not to have anxiety in that department, but serve and trust and love me above all other things in your life. And so this is the purpose of the three paragraphs actually represented there in the text. Before you, Jesus saying, go after what's real. Go after what's true, what's important, what's satisfying, truly what's lasting, what's eternal, right? And he's going to say, really, here's the point. Don't love stuff more than God. Don't depend on money more than the master. And it's so easy to do. It's so very easy to do. He says, stuff is here today and gone tomorrow. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the true worthwhile investment to love him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. With everything you got, pour your life. Make your life's work about him and his interest in you will not be disappointed. So the text divides quite nicely. He says that, number one, to make sure your one life is going to count when you see him face to face, that there's going to be something in the rewards account for you. Uh, He says, number one, make it about one pursuit. Make your life one pursuit. Aim at heaven there. Verses 19 through 21. So if you're taking notes, number one, the one pursuit. Number two, make it about one vision. You're not going to be able to make heaven your treasure and figure out and have discernment without spiritual clarity, uh, heavenly perspective, an eternal mindset, right? And so number two would be that one vision, to have a good eye for the things that matter. That's what he's talking about there. And then the third one is just verse 24. Make it about one master. You can't serve God and fill in the blank. Because when God comes into your life, man, he doesn't just take, if it's a dresser drawer is your life. You know, he doesn't just take one of the drawers. You know, my God drawer. (laughs) This is my Sunday God drawer, you know. He wants every drawer and he wants the whole piece of furniture and he wants the house that it's in and he wants the state that it's occupying in and he wants the country and you know where this is going, right? (laughs) He wants the earth. He wants the whole shebang. What good is it to call him Lord, but serve him half-heartedly and have rival thrones and rival passions and rival desires? He says, that's not going to result in blessing. And so out of a heart of love to set you up for success, he says, come on, do not fall in love and be enamored with stuff. 
Here, that's all your earthly treasures are liable to loss. And so we're going to dig in now with that one pursuit he's calling us to. Don't be duped, but have one pursuit here. And we'll isolate that first part for you. Don't store up your treasures on earth where they're so vulnerable to loss. And so now I believe it's C.S. Lewis that said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. So Jesus is giving us a, a heads up. All we have to do is look around at some of the Christians we know and actually uh, all, watch the news at night to see the devastation of people living for the wrong reasons and for the wrong goals and to, to have suddenly what they had hoped would be their security pulled out from underneath them. And so Jesus says, you don't have to live that way. And so he opens with the reason, reasons that we should take his advice um, or rather obey his commands because it is a command. Do not do this. This is a command, not a suggestion. And right I mean, it's not the 10 suggestions in the Old Testament, right? It's the 10 commandments, right? And so our money and our possessions are untrustworthy because of their vulnerability to loss. So we're not supposed to be enamored with the blessing, but in love with the one who blesses, you see? And so actually... It is. I mean, all earthly treasures located here are liable to loss. Uh, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God, Right? And so even in the Old Testament from the Proverbs, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the restraint and wisdom to restrain yourself. Uh, cast but a glance at your wealth and it disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly off into the air like an eagle taking flight to the sky, you see. Now, what's interesting and what's going to take us a few extra minutes in our first point is to kind of figure this all out because it can get complicated here. So what is Jesus saying exactly what the problem is? Now, I want to start with that last quote where he says, don't wear yourself out to be rich, be wise enough to restrain yourself, says Solomon, who had more stuff than anybody on the entire planet. So he's a good case study. So let's try to get situated by looking at that today. Solomon, who's talking about stuff and treasures on earth, he had plenty of treasures on earth, didn't he? A spectacular place to live. You want to see an estate? Oh, my word, the palace there. Servants waiting on him hand and foot, gardens, lakes, and zoos, and servants, and orchards, and choirs, and orchestras. And if horses would count as cars, he had 12,000 of them, fast ones, right? And he had 4,000 garages to put his stuff in. His daily provisions for the staff were unbelievable. You can check that out in the book of First Kings, 9,000 pounds of wheat, 
daily just to make bread for the staff. Now, wow, 10 oxen. And then it said, and I got a laugh out of this, uh, it also included 20 pasture-fed cattle. So they were free-range. That was nice. <laughs> and he says, lots of sheep, goats, gazelle, and deer, and choice poultry. The Queen of Sheba came upon all of the ballast grounds and the daily provisions and all of this wealth and fanfare, and it took her breath away. She said, I heard the reports. And I came up to see with my own eyes, and her breath was taken away, and she says the half was not even told. And so this Solomon wasn't just the richest person in the world, which the Bible says he was, but he was the wisest. Now here comes some insight. You recall the dream. Let's take a look at, at his heart and what his heart treasured. The dream comes to him. God stands before God. Solomon in a dream and says, Solomon, I want to give you whatever you will ask. Whatever you want, I will give it to you. And Solomon says, you put me on the throne. I replaced my father. I don't know anything. I'm young. I'm immature. I need some wisdom and discernment from right, to know right from wrong and to do a good job serving you and your interests and your people. And if you were listening, you could hear a little ding, 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 because the desire of his heart is not riches and what you can see, which is temporal, but rather the wisdom and to bless God. So here's what God says in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. God says to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked me for wealth possessions or honor, nor for the death of your enemies. And since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth and possessions and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none will ever have after you. And so that's the... <laughs> The treasure of his heart was what? Was that he could have asked for it. But he said, what really is my passion is to make you happy. To do what you've called me to do, but to do it well. So how can I do it well unless you give me the ability to serve you well? And God says, oh, I like that. And now since you didn't ask me about your heart's not all about earthly treasure, I'll throw that in for free as well, because your heart can handle it. Your life is wise enough to handle it, you know? He wasn't busy. This is 20 years old, but the prayer of Jabez, you know, he wasn't repeating the prayer of Jabez 30 times a day, and then checking your bank account to see if God uh, enlarged it, you know? That was 20 years ago. It was Christian fads. Every wind of doctrine blowing here and there. No emails. Thank you. Now, <laughs> he doesn't have a self-serving attitude. He has God-serving gratitude, and Jesus can't resist that kind of thing. And God adds all of the stuff. And he says, by the way, in 12 chapters, in a P.S. Ecclesiastes, he goes on to say, just so you know, without an eternal perspective, without the love of God driving at the reins of everything, it's all meaningless, all the stuff, and he lists all the stuff. And he says, without God, without purpose, 
without a relationship with the one who blessed me with all the stuff, the stuff is meaningless, meaningless. The whole thing doesn't make sense. In fact, it was more of a curse than a blessing without God. And so there you start to see kind of what we're talking about, that, you know, we can enjoy our homes, we can decorate them, we can remodel. I mean, it's really a cheap and easy thing to do is to make having anything at all or wanting to have anything all a sin and to say that that's what God's talking about here when he's not. He's talking about the heart. Money is neutral. A house is morally neutral. He says, I want to look at your heart and that therein is the problem, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had stuff upon stuff. They had stuff for their stuff. Uh, you've got David and Solomon and you've got big givers in the New Testament. If they're giving big, it means they're people who have means. You've got Barnabas, You've got the Roman centurion Cornelius. You've got Lydia, the seller of purple cloth who made a lot of money. And the church met in her home. And you have Philemon and Tabitha. And how about Joseph of Arimathea? He was loaded. He had this awesome, brand new, beautiful tomb in a garden. And God was thankful that he had stuff and that he managed his money well. And he was a wise steward so that he had that tomb and he gave it to somebody with a heart that put God first and said, you know, my tomb is your tomb. And I'll lay the body of Jesus with a hundred pounds of expensive anointing spices and I'll lay you, your body in my tomb. Stuff is, can be good and be a blessing if the heart that manages the stuff is right with God and loves God more than the stuff. This is the problem, you know, what the verse says. And the world gets it always wrong. Money is the root of all evil. No. The love of money is the root of all evil. I think I've got that whole slide for you here. It is, should be 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment. Hello, contentment. Great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. You've never seen a U-Haul it behind a hearse. Number, <laughs> no, number eight. Uh, but if we, you know, the mummies are found with all their personal possessions because they thought they could take it with them. You know, no. Not now we get them. Uh, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich in, uh, fall into a temptation and a trap. That's why you need the good eye to see that trap that's coming up. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith. Yeah, who cares? Because their master passion is money. So it rivals God. And so they're serving the money and they wander away from the other master because they ended up hating the one and loving the other. And the one they loved is the one that could give them good feelings and comfort and prestige and likes on, on Instagram 
or whatever. I was told, don't use Facebook anymore. That's for old people. <laughs> All right, now that we cleared that up, we can go back to our text there. So the warning, I think you get it. You know, stuff can be important. And he says, I want you to work hard. I want you to support your family because he who doesn't provide for his own family, that means money, is worse than an unbeliever. And the proverb says, you should save and gather up your money little by little so that it grows so that you leave an inheritance. You see, that's not the problem. The problem's within. The problem's the lust, and the coveting, and the looking to that and bowing before the almighty dollar instead of the almighty God. Amen? Amen? All right. So he says, don't store it up for yourself in the sense of it's all for me, myself, and I, and where would I be without it? And I have to, to forego all other things in my life for this one primary passion, and it's about Money, that's living for it alone. Storing up means making it all about the money. Uh, he says, don't make it your master passion, as I've been saying. Don't lean on it. Don't rely. Don't look to it to satisfy you and bring you security. You will be sorely disappointed. So he starts with clothing there in your text. And clothing was a commodity. Clothing was an asset. Clothing was wealth to them in ancient times. And it sometimes is, is for us as well. Boy, those uh, fancy clothes can cost tens of thousands of dollars, right? And so the same back then, you remember Gehazi? Do you remember when uh, he was trying to extort Naaman, who just, he was a rich man, and he came down and he said, who can cure me? I'll give you whatever. I'll give you so much wealth. I'll make you rich if you can cure me of my leprosy. And Elijah was like, uh, dude, <laughs> we don't take money for stuff like that. We just pray for you, okay? But his servant was all greedy, and his servant ran after him later and said, actually, if you wouldn't mind paying two sets of clothing. Do you see? It was currency, right? And so Jesus says, it's the only problem with these nicer quality clothes that you guys are looking to as assets is that they are easily lost, and the problem is with the moth. Now, mothballs weren't invented yet, right? So they had a problem with, the word is vermin, or, or it means moth, or a corrosive, or, you know, it's the idea of mildew and mold that this whole world is kind of set under decay. I've got a picture of it, right? So, I mean, those moths do not have mouths as adults. You know who does is their babies, their little slimy larvae. They, they know, the moms know what the, their babies need, and it's keratin, and it's in wool and cashmere and those kind of products. And they can lay in silk. They love silk. And they lay up to a thousand eggs in your nice cashmere sweater because it's so comfy and so expensive, and she kind of knows that, right? Now, had you had polyester in there, <laughs> that would have lasted long into the millennial kingdom. <laughs> but no. And so Jesus is saying, how sad. 
that you put so much energy and look at it all. Look at the fashion. Look at the label. Look at how much it costs. And, and an insect can destroy it in a matter of minutes. He says, does that sound smart to you? All right. And so he said, goes on to say there are corruptive agents always, uh, even if it's more substantial than a sweater, you've got metals, and then he starts to talk about rust and, and silverware. He says, just because it's more uh, substantial doesn't mean it's exempt from the corrosive processes. So here's the silverware, right? You can't leave silver. Because we live in a fallen world, everything you see is being decayed, corroded. I mean, do, do you ever wonder? Why can't you just put up a building? A building seems pretty exempt from decay. But if you just leave a building, a building, it'll be gone in a thousand years. Why? Because it's decaying. Everything you see, all your earthly treasures here, and even our own bodies are subject to decay and headed for the landfill as it were. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but it is. And that's because we labor under the curse. So Jesus says, seeing that you labor under the curse where everything's being destroyed, well, do it make any sense to put your hopes and your dreams and wrap your soul and your heart and your life and spend every waking minute and all your passions after something that is tick, 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 coming undone and not able to save you, not able to heal you, not able to do anything. Yes, these things can be enjoyed with the right heart, seeking God's kingdom first, and then all these little things that pass away. And we know about rust, right? We know about rust. Perfectly good car until suddenly invisible. What's happening down there? That's going to cost five, six, seven thousand dollars to fix. You just, just you know, the cars and the things, but everything, everything is like that. So he says, listen. You might be thinking, well, that's accidental, and you know, it happens. It's a passive kind of thing. But he says the loss can be intentional. He says thieves break in. And the word in King James is dig through because they had mud walls. And so anybody could just dig through, help themselves to what your hope and your treasure and your joy that's, that you buried there, thinking, wow, I'm depending on this. And in some ways we do kind of depend on certain things like that, but not if your treasure's in God. So he says, thieves break in and steal. I've got a picture of a steel safe in a jewelry store in San Diego that got blown apart during the night. Not only did they blow through the steel safe, they, they cracked through the concrete safe, and they hauled a 1,000-pound safe out the back door. You see, now you're thinking, well, this is a steel safe. This is a concrete safe. This safe weighs a 1,000 pounds. Nobody's getting in there. <laughs> Jesus says, thieves, thieves, man. And, 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 and what about the stock market? And what about the frauders, <laughs> the scam artists who get you to invest? And then you get a phone call that says, all of that money is gone. And it happens to thousands, perhaps, millions of people all over the world. And, and, and I'm talking to you guys two, two days from now, 
two years ago to Tuesday is the fires. One day you were on Fountain Grove with a beautiful mansion, and the next day you didn't have anything. Now, if you were not properly insured, and some were not, then you lost a million dollars, 750,000. The average house in Santa Rosa is $650,000. That's average. So let's put it back 200 years when you didn't have insurance. He's saying, if that was your dream home, now, now listen, and you lost it all, you lost it all. There was a distinct difference between those who were grieving that we were helping who were Christians from unbelievers. You could see it. And we had funds, so unbelievers from the world, and it was our joy. We helped them as well. But you could see the difference between somebody who knows the Lord and says, you know what? I've got a house. Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for me in my father's house. And I'm looking forward to that. Yes, I've shed some tears. I love my home God gave me. And I lost some pictures and some, some stuff. It's tough. How many Christians told me? It's tough. Yes, it hurts. But I've got Christ. I've got God. I've got heavenly treasure. And so, yeah. But this is all Jesus' point is. Like that, your whole destiny can change. But nothing takes away Christ, neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor demons nor famine or nakedness or peril or sword. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor all of the things in creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is our treasure. He is our home. He even gives us crowns. If you want to talk about jewelry and so, yeah. Let's move on from there. You can go back to the scripture. So on the other hand, verse 20 and following, he says, if you're piling it up, pile it up, with a heavenly vision so that when you get to heaven, there's something there. And the way that you pile up treasures in heaven is deeds of Christian kindness. It's really whatever you do. Listen to the scripture in Colossians. That'll give you an idea of how do I do that? Whatever you do as a Christian, work at it with your whole being for the Lord and not for men because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. So in everything, Jesus is down to the small little cup of cold water you do because he's a Christian. You want to encourage him. That's all that means. You want to refresh somebody because they're in the faith and you care about them and you do this small little cup of water, nothing. He says, cha-ching, I keep records because you're invested in that. Now he says, you know, he makes it so easy because he wants, you know, that parent to seize the kids' faces on Christmas morning when they come around the corner and see the tree and it's like kerpal filled with all kinds of things. God wants us to be what? Wow, when he rolls back whatever it is and says, this is for you. Do you remember all of this and that and the other things? Because they added up. 
But if you're living for yourself and you're living for stuff and you're living for the wrong reasons, you may get there and you may find there's not a lot there because you spend it on yourself. You only were thinking about you. You're glad you're not going to hell. Hallelujah. And now onward. It's all about me and church is like, what did I get from church today? How was the worship and how was the sermon? Because those are the only two reasons I come to critique what I get. So church is, is evaluated by how well the pastor does and how well the worship goes. That's inverted. That's me, myself, and I. Instead of coming with a mission to be a blessing, to be giving, to be looking for somebody to pray for, to be contributing, to strengthen, not to receive, to receive, to receive. Amen? This is what he wants. And he says, listen, when you live like that, there's a reward for you, and nothing's gonna, nothing can take that away. Here's what Peter says. He says, praise God, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So he says, listen, just be smart. Have, have the wisdom to be able to say, it's almost like having insider uh, information, right? Because God's saying, heads up, you know, none of this is going to really matter. What's going to matter is when you see my face, and then the things done for the kingdom was the currency we accept here. And so heads up, if you want to make it big there, then you have to have that perspective and make your choices today in a way that sends the investment over there. But that will take a lot of faith. And so in order to do that, you're going to need clear vision. That's the part that gets everybody confused. Next paragraph, please. Now, a lot of people say, I get paragraph A and I get paragraph C, but I don't get this middle part. And if you don't get the middle part, then you're not going to get the whole thing. And I'll be happy to be of some help. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If that, if that happens, wow, what a disaster. All right, to paraphrase. Now, so the first paragraph is clear. He just said, as we've been talking about, make God our treasure, not stuff. Check, we got that. And for all the various reasons, we went through that. And then paragraph three is just really one verse, and it says, make God your master, not money. Check, we get that. But what's this whole talk about good eyes and bad eyes doing in the middle? He's saying, listen, if you're going to make heaven your treasure and God your primary passion, if you're going to hope to escape the idolatry that's all around you about bowing before money instead of the master, you're going to need to see clearly. You're going to need spiritual discernment, spiritual good eyes to see uh, the pitfalls, the worthless pursuits. And, and, and without spiritual vision, you're a goner. It's not going to happen. So he says, we must have one vision. So note takers, we're at that second point, a necessity of a clear perspective, verses 22 and 23. And Jesus just wants to emphasize this. Oh, the danger of not having spiritual eyesight 
to see and avoid the pitfalls so that you can, on the day you see Christ, uh, be overjoyed and not have any regret. And so the metaphor, of course, is eyesight. And it's pretty simple. It opens up. It's the eye alone. This really, I mean, we could show a picture of an eye, all right? I'm just kind of a cheesy little picture, okay? Okay, here's what he's saying. That eye is the one part of your body that brings in all of the light and, and fills your whole being with light so that you can see. So the whole being has the ability to maneuver, to stay away from the dangerous places and to go uh, productively and effectively in a straight and narrow path. So you need that eye to be good because if the eye is bad, you're going to be in trouble. Now, He's saying, spiritually speaking, then to find our way to true blessing, we need good eyes. Now, the word for good there is interesting because it means single. It can mean single, focus, or it can mean good or healthy. It can also mean generous. So he's saying, if your, eye, if your heart and your eye really can be used interchangeably there, if you have a single passion and devotion to God, to the things of heaven, to the kingdom of God and the gospel, uh, then you have light and you won't be duped by what the world thinks, bye, 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 and have things and stuff and prestige and try to outdo the Joneses and the Smiths and all of that. You won't fall for that because your eye's good, right? That's what he's saying there. And that's the intent of your life is the single-minded focus to God. And that's what you're going to need to avoid the pitfalls, right? Uh, I loved going out to watch the guys play softball this summer. The church league, they do pretty good, actually. And But, you know, you'll always hear this when somebody pitches kind of a bad pitch, right? And he doesn't swing and it's a ball. They all, everybody says, good eye, good eye, right? Because he wasn't duped into swinging at that nonsense attempt there, right? And this is what Jesus is saying, my people need a good eye, good eye. You didn't fall for that. All the consumerism and all the lies and the falsehood. And, and you, you didn't believe that commercial. If I only bought that $38,000 truck, that all these people and all these girls would be in love with me. They'd all, be, <laughs> they'd all be over my house. We'd all be eating this barbecue. And look at the house. You know, everything. It all depends on that truck. If only I had that truck with that name, with that insignia. And I need that purse. And I need these jeans. And I need this kind of house. And I need, and I need, and I need. He says, because you have a good eye. Good eye, Christian. Good eye. You called it. But if your eye is bad, and it means evil, if it's focused on the things of this world, you're blind. You can't see. You don't understand. <laughs> and you need to have a good eye because of your own grasping, greedy, sinful, insecure nature that we all deal with, 
Number two, the demonic influences that are always wanting to derail us and get us involved over here, waste our lives, and the relentless bombardment of the world's misguided um, motives for life, you know, all of the media, you know, and all of that. Let me give you 10 fun facts about American consumerism. And I want to say up front, number one, I don't think anything in the list is in itself a sin. And I'm not reading them to make you feel bad at all because I'm in the list as well. This is to show you what we're up against in this world as Americans living in an affluent uh, uh, society. The pressure, all right, and the environment to which we must hear Jesus' words and live like this. Number one, there are 100,000 plus items in the average American home, according to the LA Times. 100,000 things in our houses. Number two, the average size of the American home has nearly tripled in size over the past 50 years. That's from NPR Radio. Number three, and still, even though the houses are getting bigger, one out of every 10 Americans rent off-site storage, which is the fastest growing segment of commercial real estate. Number four, 25% of Americans with two-car garages don't have enough room to park their cars. That's the stuff. No elbows. Number five. Number five, a British research uh, found that the average 10-year-old owns 100 toys but plays with 10. Six, the average American woman... <sighs> I'll get to the guys, ladies. The average American woman owns 30 outfits, one for each day of the month, 20 pairs of shoes, and spends eight years of her life shopping. For other people, mostly. <laughs> and I believe that, really. I mean, she's shopping for the family, right? <laughs> Seven, the average man, American man, doesn't tend to buy a lot of little things, but tends to buy a few expensive things, and then buys a lot of little things for the few expensive things. which adds up to a garage overflowing and a shed that's full. Number eight, our homes have more TVs in them than people. Number nine, average American throws away 65 pounds of clothing and 250 pounds of food per year. This means that roughly 20% of all food put on plates of Americans is trashed and enough to feed 2 billion, with a B, extra people annually. Last but not least, well, actually it is least, verse uh, number 10, average American gives 1% in charity. National Geographic quoted that. So the message is loud and clear. Consume, consume, consume. Buy, buy, buy. Purchase, purchase, purchase. It'll make you happy, successful. You'll have security and admiration and prestige in the eyes of others. And Jesus says, blind people do that. 
that that's all they're doing, that the list is there to the exclusion of all things Christian, of God being somebody who's precious and worshiped and submitted to. You see, that's the environment that we have to deal with. And he says, that, my friends, will get you uh, diminished vision. I have a diminished vision here. That's dangerous, but there's something more dangerous than what you're looking at. It's when it's your soul. And, and there's, let me tell you a picture with this. Uh, let me tell you a story with this picture uh, on there for you to see. Watch out, Jesus said, be on your guard of all kinds of greed because life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. Luke chapter 12. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded abundant harvest. You see, he says it wasn't even him. It was the ground. He was just blessed. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I don't have any place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And, and I'll store all my stuff there. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of stuff laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, thou fool. Middle of the night, one night, he had trouble breathing. He had a little pain down his arm. And he took a breath, and then boom, he's in the presence of his maker. And he must give an account. And God's first words to him was, you fool. And it's not the fool that Jesus told us not to use. It's a different word. The word means to lack sense, to have not reflected upon one's life. And so Jesus says, how foolish was that? You were rich in the world, but you're poor toward God. And now who's going to get all that stuff? What a waste of time. The stuff isn't in the back room waiting for you. In fact, you know what's in the, in the back room waiting for you? In his case, he's going to perish. Why? He's on that road, the dark road. He has a bad eye. So Jesus says, pray for good vision, pray for discernment, pray for the smarts, pray for the courage and the faith to put your investments in things that are unseen, the gratification that comes later that you must delay and live modestly within your means so that you, your life can count and be truly life that is life. Amen? This is what he's talking about. And he says, this uh, is where you're headed if you don't have a good eye. And so now... Uh, Finally, he says, let's talk about lordship in our last verse and we'll be done. Just a couple minutes here with the cold hard truth. No one can serve two masters. You're going to wind up hating one and loving the other or you're going to be devoted to one and you're going to despise the other. You just can't serve both God and fill in the blank. You can't serve. Listen, we call him Lord and then we don't do what he says. If we call him Lord, I mean, I always feel kind of convicted. The first word out of my mouth in prayer is Lord. That says so much about what I'm about to say. But I'm saying Lord, but, you know, he isn't if he's not all the way Lord. Well, we all struggle with that. 
our whole lives trying to give him more and more of our lives as we trust him. And so now to the hundreds of listening to him and looking for a loophole who's thinking, surely I could do both. I can have my cake and eat it too. And Jesus says, no can do, no can do. So he says, you gotta have, you gotta choose. Is it me or money? And he, and he says, uh, listen, anything that has your adoration, your loyalty or love and your priorities is an idol. It's a rival throne. It's a rival God. And, and listen, he says, my name in the Old Testament to his people, he says, my name is, and he says, jealousy. He says, the, takes the word jealous and he combines it with his name. And he says, you can call me by another name. My name is jealous. What does he mean by that? He says, I love you. I don't want you cheating on me. I love your, I want your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Why? Because when you give your heart to somebody else or something else, it's a ripoff and it breaks my heart because I love you best. I made you. I sustain you. I died for you. I went to prepare a place for you so that we could be there forever. This is what he's talking about. So he says, you have to, you have to make a choice. Two treasures, choose heaven. Heaven or earth, choose heaven. You've got two visions, light and dark, good eye or a bad eye. Choose the good eye. Choose the light. And then he says that it comes down to two masters. Choose me. He sees such horrible disappointment and wretched destruction for those who don't. That's what he's saying. Come to me. Come to me. Yeah, no. So he says, you know, the adulterer will uh, inevitably choose one. You can't have two loves like that. So he says the reason it's a spiritual impossibility is uh, of serving two dominating passions is they're contradictory in, in nature. You can't belong to two owners. You really can't. Uh, we, ha we can have two jobs and two bosses, but that's easy. You go into one place and one boss, and he's got his demands and his personality and that work environment. That's it. You go in. You do the work there, you go out, you go to your next job. Different person, different job expectations. You can do that. You can serve two masters at the two locations, but you can't have two bosses under one roof. You can't have two bosses contradicting each other in one heart. He says, because sooner or later, and this is a little hyperbole, his point is, sooner or later, you will love one more than the other. That's the point there. And we see that happen, sadly, uh, all the time. They're competing gods, aren't they? God says, listen to this. God says, trust me. Money says, depend on me. God says, give, give, give. Money says, get, get, get. God says, share. Money says, hoard. God says, be generous. Money says, be stingy. God says, integrity at all costs. And money says, do whatever it takes. Sometimes you've got to cut some corners. Business ethics, kind of an oxymoron in this world. 
right? That's not what God says. God says make church a priority. Money says it's all about earning. I know sometimes it happens. God says be content. Money says be discontent. More, more, more. Bigger, better. God says, do you have food? Do you have shelter? Do you have me? Do you have some toys to have some fun with? God says, invest in the gospel. Help me, please. Help me, please. I don't want to reach the world. People are dying and perishing. Can you please take out a little of what I blessed you with and help me? Please. And money says, no, you'll get what's left over. What I think I can spare, I'll give you. That's the other God. I don't know if you've heard that voice before. God says self-control. Money says budget. <laughs> You're kidding me. That's what credit cards are for. <laughs> Slide the cord. Live it up. God says moderation, insight, wisdom, discipline. And money says, you know you deserve it. Come on. Everybody else is doing it or has it. What about Facebook? What are they going to think? That you don't take vacations? Come on. You choose your vacation by how good it's going to look on Facebook. <laughs> I'm sorry. Jesus says, let me give you some, some tips to avoid you, avoid wasting a lot of your life. It's not possible to serve both of us. Choose. Choose this day. So it turns out, yeah, there really is hidden treasure. That's what this is all about. And we really do have a map that's kind of encoded. It's called the Bible. And God Almighty says, I, I, I've given you directions, and I've marked the gigantic X, but it's not under your feet. It's above your heads. Take aim there with your good eye to see and make me your master passion. It'll go well with your soul here and in the life to come. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. We look to you now to help us understand and reflect on all these matters. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 